Well, we have come to the point in our study here in the book of Deuteronomy at Cross Connection Church where we are officially on the very downhill or final sprint leg of this long book. We've been in this book for a long time, since January of 2020. And now, as we come to this point, we have just about five chapters left in the book. But really, Moses' presentation of God's law to the children of Israel and his reaffirmation of the covenant with Israel here in this passage, it effectively ends with these words that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. So that really is the close of all the statutes and judgments that we find here in the book of Deuteronomy in this reaffirming or second telling of the covenantal law with the children of Israel. And here Moses is kind of closing out that section of the statutes and judgments. But in that verse, Deuteronomy 29 verse 1, where he makes reference to the covenant there in the land of Moab, but then he also makes reference to the covenant in the land of Horeb. We have a veiled reference, I think, to the revelation of God's grace. A lot of people think that God in the Old Testament was almost as if he was mean and brutish. They think that he had something like a short fuse. He had a really light hair trigger and that he would quickly fly off the handle and smite anyone that happened to cross his path or to upset him. But that isn't how God is revealed in the Old Testament. God didn't suddenly change even when you come into the New Testament. He didn't become nicer during that period of 400 plus years or so between the Old and New Testaments. God is merciful and gracious. And he is merciful and gracious in the Old Testament, just as he is in the New Testament. And in Deuteronomy 29, verse 1, at the last word of the reaffirmation of the covenant, there is a reminder of God's grace and his mercy. You see, the previous generation, the previous generation of Israel that had received the covenant of God at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, they failed in keeping the covenant. And in failing to keep the covenant, they forsook the Lord. And they did this very, very quickly. I mean, God gives them the covenant and within two months, they have already broken it. Three times they said to God in Exodus, as God's getting ready to give them the law in Exodus chapter 19, and then two more times in Exodus chapter 24, three times the children of Israel, they say, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. And we will be obedient to everything that he tells us to do. And then in about a month and 10 days, they departed from the Lord and they broke, immediately they broke the first and second and third commandments. You know, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not bow before any graven image, any sort of idol, and you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They, they broke at least those three covenants and then many other commandments there immediately after they had received the law and said, everything that you've told us, we will do and be obedient. They forsook the Lord and they broke the covenant. And according to the statutes and judgments of the covenant, God had every right within the covenant, within the law, to destroy them. But he didn't. Instead, God was gracious. And God was gracious because that is his nature. He is merciful and he is gracious. In fact, as that is being revealed in Exodus, after the previous generation to this one that we are confronted with here in Deuteronomy, after that previous generation had broken the covenant and forsaken the Lord, we see God reveal 
what is nature really is like. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses has this really awesome interaction with God where he is able to see some aspect, some portion of God's glory, not the fullness of God's glory because he could not see God's glory and, and survive it. He couldn't live in the presence of God's glory. So he is able to see some aspect of God's glory and in the midst of this, God reveals his nature as he declares his name and we read it in a passage that I absolutely love in Exodus 34, where we pick it up in verse six and we read, God is, is announcing his name and a name in the Old Testament, it is basically synonymous with the nature or the character of the one who holds that name. So God says, the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, and he defines his name, Exodus 34, verse six, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I love that passage because there, as God announces his name and, and pronounces what his character really is like, he chooses to begin to introduce himself to Moses and to the world really there by saying, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord, the Lord God, I am, very first thing, merciful. Of, of all the innumerable aspects of what God is like, all the innumerable attributes of God, he chooses to announce first and foremost, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and patient. And, and so he reveals the greatness of who he really is to a sinful generation. Now that sinful generation who broke those first three commandments and many others when they danced around the golden calf just a short time after they had said, everything that you have said, we will do and be, be obedient. That sinful generation, they did experience the consequences of their sins. They did not taste of the blessings of the promised land, but they were not destroyed. And it is because of the Lord's mercies that they were not destroyed and consumed, which is exactly what we read in the uh, Old Testament book of Lamentations. Because of the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. So we read, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. God didn't destroy Israel when they, at Mount Sinai, at Horeb, after they broke the covenant, after they danced around the golden calf, when they, they departed from the Lord, forsook his covenant and failed to fulfill the covenant requirements, God didn't destroy them. And instead, he continued to work with that same people. He didn't start over with Moses. We, we don't know of the children of Israel today as the children of Moses. We know of them still as the children of Israel, even though they broke God's covenant. And they would break his covenant in future times. And yet God would restore them by mercy and grace when they would return to him. So he didn't destroy that generation at Mount Sinai after they had broken the law. He didn't destroy them after they refused to trust him and go into the promised land. He continued to carry along with them. And now with their kids and their grandkids, he reaffirms his covenant with Abraham's descendants. And now they are about to inherit the blessing the blessing of the promised land. They're about to cross over the Jordan River. They are east of the Jordan River in the plains of Moab. What we know today, if you look at a map of that region and you see the nation of Israel there on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean and you see the nation of Israel and then to the right of that on the map, you're gonna see, or east of that, you're gonna see the nation of Jordan and splitting the nations of Israel and Jordan is the Jordan River with the Sea of Galilee at the top and the Dead Sea down there at the south. They are right at kind of the northeast corner of the Dead Sea and the plains of Moab 
getting ready to come over into the promised land, they're right there on the border of blessing to inherit the land that God had promised to them. And in this, it's so key and important. Remember this, you are going to fail in the future. You are going to fall short of God's perfect, righteous standard and his glory. This week, you are going to do that. Maybe even in a really big way. Perhaps even before the sun goes down today, you will fail. And even still, when you fail, the Lord, the Lord God is merciful. And he is gracious and he is patient and he is abounding in goodness. Now, he doesn't overlook sin, but he is abounding in goodness and patient and merciful and gracious. And it is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. This week we will celebrate Thanksgiving. And I think that that, that truth is something to be grateful for. To be grateful and thankful for the Lord is merciful and he is good. So now more than two years of slowly working our way through this book to make this observation and this key point. God is always faithful to his covenant, even when we are not. I think that's worth saying again. God is always faithful to his covenant, even when we are not. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, we read, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And Moses now reminds the children of Israel explicitly of God's faithfulness. And I find this interesting. First, it is worth noting that Moses could have just ended his whole Deuteronomic discourse with that verse, Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. The book is basically done, but he decides to give the children of Israel a bit more as he now gets a little bit more philosophical and reminiscent. So that's kind of the first thing that we're going to see as we go through this next section. But second, I have to say that it is, it is a little weird what Moses is going to say in this passage of Scripture. We read this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 2. Now, Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against you to battle. And we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Again, at this point, Moses could end what he's saying in the book of Deuteronomy. The statutes and judgments portion of the covenant are complete at Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. But now he gets a little reminiscent and philosophical, and he says some things that are a little bit strange. Basically, it's as if Moses says to the children of Israel, God has done some amazing things before your eyes over the last 40 years. And, and even though he's done all these amazing things over the last 40 years, you've missed it. You haven't taken it to heart. It has happened to you and around you, and you've basically lived as if all of these amazing things that God has done are normal, and they're not. In a sense, it is as if Moses is saying, 
you have taken for granted all that God has done for you and to you during this whole period of time. God redeemed you from slavery in Egypt. He defeated the armies of Egypt before your eyes. He brought you out of Egypt and he parted the Red Sea and you walked over on dry ground to be rescued by the Lord. And then your clothes and your shoes, they have not worn out for all these 40 years since you left Egypt. And you didn't have to plow or plant fields or tend gardens or any of those sort of things because God gave you manna. He gave you miraculous food every single day as a daily miracle for 40 years. And as you wandered in the wilderness and dry and parched lands, he gave you water in the wilderness out of rocks. He defeated your enemies before your eyes. He provided for you. He protected you. He covered you with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And all these things, it is the overwhelming blessing of God. And yet it was as if the children of Israel were blinded to the phenomenal and miraculous nature of what was happening around them and to them. And not only were they imperceptive, they were, in a sense, not really thankful. One commentator writing on this, he observed, saying, You've seen all the miracles with your mind, heart, and eyes, and still you did not see God's hand in all these miracles, much less have gratitude for them. They saw the acts of God, but somehow in all of the amazing things that God did for them and to them over the last 40 years, somehow they, they missed God in all of that. And in this, we observe an important truth. God continues to work in spite of my ingratitude or my lack of acknowledgement of his works. Perhaps it is a bit serendipitous that we are considering these things the Sunday before Thanksgiving. You know, I do think that it is true, as one commentator on this passage observes, the root cause of unhappiness is ingratitude. Consider the fact that one of the things that Israel seemed expert at while they were wandering in the wilderness was grumbling, complaining, and murmuring. They are living and walking under the shadow of the Almighty's actual presence. He covers them with a pillar of cloud by day and he guides them with a pillar of fire by night. They are experiencing his daily provision. They are witnessing his divine protection and his deliverance. And still through all of it, one of the things that they were really good at, all you have to do is go back and read the book of Numbers, is murmuring and complaining. And as much as I would like to think that I'm different and that I am somehow better than they in this, I am absolutely not. I often, you know, as a way of confession, regrettably, I often fail to acknowledge the Lord. I often fail to give him glory and praise and thanksgiving for his provision, for his protection, for his grace and his mercy and his goodness. Thankfully, God continues to remain faithful. He continues to work even if I am not taking notice to the great things that he has done for me, or if I am not exactly grateful, or even if I am lacking faith or lacking in faithfulness. So Moses says to the children of Israel, as he's kind of wrapping all this up, hey, I know that I just shared with you for a very long time, all of the statutes and the judgments, all of the stipulations and the law of the covenant that you have entered into. I know that you have affirmed with a vow, with an oath, your intent and your willingness to hear and to heed and to obey all the things that I have just shared with you. But I just want to remind you 
of all that God has done for you in taking care of you for the last 40 years. He provided for you. He protected you. He has delivered you. He's done all these amazing things. Verse 9, Deuteronomy chapter 29. Therefore, he says, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. God is always faithful to continue working to fulfill his covenants. He does this in spite of my failure, my failure to be faithful, my failure to acknowledge his goodness and to give thanks to him for it. But we observe that it is also true that my success is linked to my faith in God and my faithfulness to his commands. And Moses here calls them to that faith in God and that faithfulness to his command. Therefore, keep the words of the covenant and do them so that you may prosper. My success is linked to my faith in God and my faithfulness to his commands. So Moses continues, Deuteronomy 29, verse 10. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel and your little ones and your wives, and also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts the wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now notice in this passage that this covenant that the children of Israel has entered into with God, that Moses has been the mediator of through all of these 30, 29, 30 chapters leading up to this point. This covenant was with all Israel from the very top all the way down. There was no one excused. There was no one exempt out of this covenant. The same rules of the covenant, the same stipulations, commands, judgments, and so forth, the same rules apply to the leaders and elders but also to the women and children and even the foreigner that was in their midst. The same statutes and judgments and curses and blessings. They are applied to those who had high status among say the priests and the elders, but also to those who had very low regard or low status, even the menial labors. He mentions those who cut wood and those who draw water. As one commentator noted, there is no room for snobbishness for those who believe in the biblical teaching that all people are created in God's image. And there is no need in God's eyes to separate and segregate his covenanted people. Notice that women and children and foreigners had the same requirement to fulfill the covenantal expectations of the law as those further up the hierarchical stack. They also had the same exact expectation of blessing as did everyone else. You see, the priests, the Levites, the elders, the leaders of the nation of Israel, they didn't get like some watered down stipulations of the, of the law. They didn't have like an easier thing for them to fulfill than those who were further down the stack did. But they also didn't have some greater blessing than those who were further down the stack did. They, they all have the same expectation of blessing as did anyone else in the law. And we have an important thing that comes out of this, an important truth that we even hold dear to our hearts here thousands of years later. And that is the ideal of equality under the law. That begins with God. It didn't begin with the 14th Amendment in 1868. It wasn't original to Nebraska when they made it their state motto 
a year before the 14th Amendment in 1867. It didn't originate at the Constitutional Convention. It didn't begin with the writing or the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776 or even with the Magna Carta some 550 plus years before that. It begins with God. We read in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 15, one ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations, as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. Verse 16, one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. This is such an important truth, an amazing concept, an amazing concept that something like this ever came to be. Now, it has taken more than 3,000 years of slowly and kind of methodically and progressively applying this concept of equality under the law to get us to the level of equality that we have here in the West in the 21st century. But this is a divine ideal and it is originally found in the Torah. And this divine ideal originally found in places like Deuteronomy chapter 29 and Numbers chapter 15 this divine ideal is kind of like the proverbial chaos theory idea of the butterfly flapping its wings, which eventually changes the course of weather halfway around the world. Do we do equality under the law perfectly here in the West, in the United States and in Canada or in Western Europe or in other Western countries? Do we do equality under the law perfectly? No, we do not. Not in the least. There are ways in which we could be better at this. And recognize that the tendency of human communities, because we are innately sinful, is to default to unequal balances of justice. Far too often, the haves, the higher up in the hierarchy, are able to enjoy a different form of justice or even a greater level of blessing than the have-nots who are further down the stack. But that is not God's ideal. In fact, we read in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 20, verse 23, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, the Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. We want equality and we want justice. We expect these things. Where does that expectation come from? That didn't arise out of nothing. That arises out of the fact that you grew up in a culture that is built upon these foundational principles. That is a part of who we are because we live in a Judeo-Christian society. But also I think that God has kind of planted in us this desire for equality and justice under the law. The Lord detests double standards. He is not pleased by dishonest scales. So we have an important observation here in this passage. Our success as a culture and a community requires equal administration of the law and uniform justice. And I want to point out that I said back there a moment ago when I gave point three that my success, my personal success, is linked to my faith in God and my faithfulness to his commands. But here I'm saying on purpose that our success as a community requires equal administration of the law and a uniform justice. This is important. I have an individual responsibility and then we have a corporate responsibility. These things are essential and it is something worth thinking about. It's something that maybe you should take some time to ponder and meditate upon this week. You have a personal individual responsibility to walk out the things of God's commands in scripture, not so that you can be saved, 
but so that you can live rightly before God. We have a responsibility individually do that, to do that. But corporately, we have a responsibility to uphold justice. And this is why we read from the prophet Micah, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk in humility before your God. And it's worth considering that if your culture is falling apart, and I think you could make the case that there are aspects of our culture that are not doing so well. If your culture is failing and falling apart, it's your fault. Personalize it all the way down. Ultimately, we have to come back to I'm individually responsible for the failure of our culture and our community. And I think we really need to think like that. And this is one of the areas that I find that I wholeheartedly agree with a guy who maybe you've heard of and because you're watching this on YouTube, maybe you've come across his videos on YouTube and maybe because I'll mention his name, then the YouTube algorithm is going to give you a recommendation of something that he's said. But I wholeheartedly agree with Jordan Peterson on this. And, and maybe we could say actually that Peterson is really just highlighting a sacred truth from the scriptures, which I think is true. But he may be the most vocal individual with most certainly the largest platform that is highlighting this important truth. If your culture is failing and falling apart, it is your fault. And, and you could set the world in perfect order if only you would start first at that very small local level. This is why the meme goes along with Jordan Peterson so often where he's telling you to clean up your room. That if you want to see your culture moved in a right direction because you see your culture or your community failing, then you need to personalize it down to the level of the individual and clean up your room. Take care of the small things that you can take care of now. Set those things in perfect order. And then you can move out from there to be able to try and see the culture of the community move in a proper direction. Because if a culture or a community is failing and falling apart, it's because the individuals that make up that community are not doing what they need to do. They are not remaining faithful to God and walking according to his statutes and judgments. And they're not trusting in him. And so at the individual level, that is essential. But our success as a community and as a culture, it requires that there be an equal administration of the law and a uniform justice. And if there isn't, that goes all the way back to us. I have so much more that I would like to say on this, but I'll have to say that at another time. We're going to continue on with Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look at verse 14. I make this covenant, Moses said, and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. This here reminds us that this is a perpetual covenant. It extends not only to those that were standing there with Moses on the the plains of Moab 3,400 years ago. It's not just for those who are standing there making this vow to enter into this covenant all those years ago, but it extends to every single person that will join themselves to the people of God after this point. The covenant applies to any and all who choose to enter into it after this point that Moses gives it in the future. And it also applies to those who break the covenant and then repent and return back to the Lord. And this is such an important thing and an amazing thing here in this passage. And again, reminds us of the mercy and grace of God. So this, this covenant that the children of Israel there in the plains of Moab 3,400 years ago reaffirmed their commitment to this covenant before God and took the oaths of the covenant there before they entered the promised land. It was for them, but it was for those who would come after them that would choose to associate with the people of God after that point but it also applies to any of those who would break the covenant and then return 
and repent. Because look at this long section we find in Deuteronomy 30. We're going to skip down to Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse of the covenant, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that when you repent and return, that then the Lord will bring you back from your captivity. So what we are finding here is in the section that we skipped over, if the children of Israel, if they forsake the covenant and they fail to fulfill the obligations, God says, you're going to taste the curses of the law and you're going to be exiled from the land that God is giving to you to inherit. And then when you are exiles in another nation, if you return back to the Lord and you call out to him, then verse three, the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and he will have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. And then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord your God to do his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We have here a, a simple but profoundly good truth. God is faithful to forgive unfaithfulness and to accept us again when we repent and return to him. Again, we are reminded of God's merciful faithfulness. He is good, both Old Testament and new. He reveals himself to be the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and patient. Which leads us into one of my favorite sections of the book of Deuteronomy. And we'll close with this today. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you would say, who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and you are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in to possess. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. I love that. Choose today 
what you're going to do. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. It's your choice. Choose life. I will never forget a message that I heard probably 25 years ago when I was 17 years old. It was so long ago that the message was on an audio cassette. And what completely amazes me in thinking about this message today is that the person who gave that cassette to me, and not just the person who gave that cassette to me, but the pastor who delivered the sermon that was on that cassette, neither one of those people is walking with God today. Both of them have completely turned away from faithfulness to God's command. But the core message of that sermon that was on that cassette that I listened to when I was 17 years old, which impacted my life in a huge way so that I still remember it today at 42, was this simple statement. Life is a series of choices. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. That was the simple message that was on this cassette. I listened to that message probably 20 times. Life is a series of choices. Choose life that you and your descendants might live. The pastor who gave that message that was on that cassette that I listened to when I was about 17 years old was a man named Bob Coy. And some of you watching this, you might name, know that name. He was an incredible Bible teacher, pastored one of the largest churches in America. And he ended up committing adultery multiple times with multiple different people. And he's no longer in the ministry today. And not only that, the guy who gave me that message on that cassette when I was 17 years old, I'm not even kidding you. He is serving multiple life sentences today for assault and murder. I, I can't even imagine, I can't even express how striking those two lives and that message drives home this essential truth. Life is a series of choices. Choose life that you might live. And ultimately, that life is not ultimately found in the law. But that life, and actually a life more abundantly than that, that is found in Christ. He is the one who fulfills the law on our behalf and fulfills it in us as he works in us to will and to do God's good pleasure as we are working out our salvation, as we follow him by faith. Now, the awesome part is that if those two individuals that I mentioned, the one who gave the message that was on that cassette, who is no longer in the ministry because of moral failure, and the one who gave me that cassette to listen to, who is serving life sentences for assault and murder, if they would return to God in repentance, then he would accept them. He would not undo all the consequences of their sinful actions, but he would be gracious to them and accept them. And that really is gospel. That's good news. Because some of you who are watching this, you're convinced that God wouldn't accept you because of something that you did. But he, if he would accept those other two guys who have fallen away in sin, if they would repent and turn to him, then you could be certain that he will accept you 
as well. And so you have a choice. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Death and cursing, they're found in this world if you just continue on the path that you're on. But life and blessing, they are found in Christ. You have a choice. Choose life. The life that is in Christ. That you might live a life that is abundant and eternal. Father God, I pray that you would help us to be thankful. To have gratitude today. Because of your faithfulness to your covenant. And to the fact that you continue to do your good work in the world, even when we don't acknowledge it, even when we are not thankful. Lord, help us to have trust in you, to have faith in you, and to be faithful to you. Knowing that in in following you by faith and following you faithfully, as you are working in us to willing to do your good pleasure, as we do these things, Lord, we experience your success, your prosperity in this world. And Lord, I I pray for our communities that we're a part of, our nation that we're a part of. Lord, we see so many ways in which our culture is failing, and and really it does come all the way back to us. What are we doing? What do we need to change? What do we need to do by your grace and by the enabling power of your spirit to be able to set things in order? And maybe that starts with us turning back to you in repentance. Even if we feel like we've done something that we can't return from, we certainly can. If we would turn to you, you will forgive. You forgive our unfaithfulness. And you restore us back into the place of blessing if we will return and turn to you. So God, I pray for anyone who might watch this, either on the day that it drops or in the months, weeks, years maybe, after it's online, you would bring them to that place of turning to you in faith and repentance and calling out to you for your grace. Because in you and you alone is life abundant and eternal. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that here at this week of Thanksgiving. It's in your name we pray. We love you, Jesus. Amen.